Hi, everyone. This is Jim McCarty, welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 14. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And toward this end, has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, those of us at LL Research form a panel to consider questions from spiritual seekers. Our panel consists of Gary Bean, Director of LL Research, and Austin Bridges, Assistant Director of LL Research, along with myself, husband to the late Carla L. Ruckert, scribe for the Raw Contact, and the President of LL Research. Each of us a devoted seeker and student of the Law of One. We will be discussing questions that are sent to us from spiritual seekers around the globe. Our replies to these questions are not final or authoritative. Instead, they are generally subjective interpretations stemming from our own studies and life experiences. We intend this podcast to be a platform of discussion as we consider questions that often challenge us to articulate our own perspective. We always ask each who listens to exercise her own discernment and listen for his own resonance in determining what is true. If you would like to submit a question for the show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org forward slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Jim McCarty. We're embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now, and we have just completed a homecoming, number 18, about a week ago. We thought we might share some of our uh, reflections on the homecoming, which felt like a wonderful experience of lots of interesting people sharing love and light. Austin, what did you think about it all? Every homecoming I've been to so far, I think this is my fourth homecoming. I just can't imagine how it could get any better. But this year was, again, just an outrageously amazing homecoming. And it's really just the people that end up coming to homecoming are, I really think, the best people on earth. The people are what make it so amazing. And it always makes me think of... Uh, when Ross said something along the lines of the most extravagant opportunities for piercing the veil are a result of the interaction of polarized entities. And I think that's what happens at homecoming is that when you're here and sitting in the circle and everybody's just sharing with the open heart, it just love is so apparent. It's in the air. It's tangible. And you can really feel your heart just open and uh, it's an emotional experience uh, people have tears flowing but they're always good tears even if they're sad they're therapeutic and the stories that we hear of how people find the material and how it's affected their lives it's just it's the most incredible time of year for me and i can never wait until the next one and i'm still count- i'm now counting down the days to homecoming 2016 <laughs> all right Gary, how about you? What was your response to this year's homecoming? You put an awful lot of energy in it. You helped plan it all and get it produced. Uh, did you take any of it in? <laughs> yeah, uh, we managed to squeak in a, a few minutes of uh, attending the event, um, <clears throat> uh, switching gears from the production side of it. Um, that, that is the downside of uh, producing like Austin and I and uh, others who help us do is that you have to be focused on um, the logistics and the preparation and you can't always um, take a seat and enjoy the great conversation that's happening. But 
uh, there is a joy to that, just as there is when you cook a meal and for um, a group of people and have them over in, in your home. You get the joy of hosting. Um, so this is my 11th consecutive homecoming. And uh, as I was telling the circle during the Friday round robin, um, I used to have experiences where I, I would say, this is the best homecoming yet. And uh, after a number of times of doing this, I kind <laughs> of uh, gave up on that because they're all, I haven't attended a bad um, a gathering, workshop, or event in any way, shape, or form. And they're all just so superlative in their own way and for reasons Austin was describing. Um, especially because, not rather, because LL Research does anything special per se. <clears throat> Though I would say we're a pretty special group. Uh, but rather because people just open up and share. Because people come and they are more or less themselves. And um, uh, that's what they're sharing is who they are and honest, um, open discussions ensue. And a lot of people come like a loaded spring because they that just burst when they get here or rather springs up because they don't have people in their home life with whom to share about their spirituality and seeking. So they get around others and it's just a really buzzing social scene. Um, and I really enjoy that. I love it. I would like for LL Research to eventually be able to offer a more um, quiet, intensive, meditative type of event because this is very social. But this serves its own purpose and is very beautiful. And uh, I enjoyed all the presentations. And as this was the first without Carla... Uh, I was, um, I think we were all wondering how it was going to unfold, but, uh, Jim, you'll probably speak more to this, but I just wanted to say briefly that, uh, quite a few people reported that they had a, a sense that Carla was there and, um, I would corroborate that at least in my subjective perception. And, uh, Jim lit a candle to symbolize Carla's presence with us, um, that was blown out at the end of, of every day. So, um, like Austin, I'm already looking forward to the next one, though I am still recovering from this one. How about you, Jim? Yeah, I think the real um, treasure of the homecoming is that people share from their heart. And that's what really moves the homecoming along. It's a very moving experience. Uh, the frosting on the cake is the presentations that are made uh, that show what people are interested in and the variety of topics that they're interested in. And as you mentioned, this was the first one without Carla. The homecoming was Carla's idea 18 years ago for people who didn't have anyone to talk to in their hometown or where they lived about their spiritual journey. She said, we should make a place where people can come and talk to each other, everybody, about whatever they want. So I think uh, this planting of the seed of a uh, place where people could be free to do that and share love was really uh, her venture years ago. And it keeps on growing and doing, well, like you said, better and better every year. And we did have a table to remember, Carla, with pictures and flowers and a candle and a little book that people could sign and put a note in. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you're right. Carla was there. Uh, I think Carla's been observing a great many things happening in LL Research uh, projects. And that was certainly one that she would definitely want to be part of. All righty. We have some questions today. Our first one is from Spencer via Bring Forth. 
And he asks, what would you recommend as techniques to crystallize the higher chakras? I'm developing a technique that combines binaural beats, Reiki, energy channeling, breathing through the chakra, and visualization. I hope to one day access intelligent infinity and serve the world's seekers by giving them information directly from the source that would otherwise be difficult to obtain. Any suggestions are appreciated. Thanks, Spencer. Austin, how would you like to tackle that one? Well, whenever this question comes up, which it does semi-frequently, especially on Bring Forth or through emails from seekers, I always think about a particular uh, passage in the raw material. And there are two questions in particular, session 49, question 5 and 6. I won't read them both, but I will read question 6 because that is uh, the most revealing. And it's a little long, but I think it's worth it. And the question was, what process would be the recommended process for correctly awakening, as they say, the kundalini? And of what value would that be? And Ra responds, The metaphor of the coiled serpent being called upwards is vastly appropriate for consideration by your peoples. This is what you are attempting when you seek. There are, as we have stated, great misapprehensions concerning this metaphor and the nature of pursuing its goal. We must generalize and ask that you grasp the fact that this is in effect... This, in effect, renders far less useful that which we share. However, as each entity is unique, generalities are are our lot when communicating for your possible edification. We have two types of energies. We are attempting, then, as entities in any true color of this octave, to move the meeting place of inner and outer natures further and further along or upward along the energy centers. The two methods of approaching this with sensible method are, first, the seeding within one's self those experiences which are attracted to the entity through the South Pole. Each experience will need to be observed, experienced, balanced, accepted, and seeded within the individual. As the entity grows in self-acceptance and awareness of catalyst, the location of the comfortable seeding of these experiences will rise to the new true color entity. The experience, whatever it may be, will be seated in red ray and considered as to its survival content and so forth. Each experience will be subsequently, sequentially understood by the growing and seeking mind-body-spirit complex in terms of survival, then in terms of personal identity, then in terms of social relations, then in terms of universal love, then in terms of how the experience may beget free communication, then in terms of how the experience may be linked to universal energies, and finally in terms of the sacramental nature of each experience. Meanwhile, the Creator lies within. In the North Pole, the crown is already upon the head, and the entity is potentially a god. This energy is brought into being by the humble and trusting acceptance of this energy through meditation and contemplation of the self and of the Creator. Where these energies meet is where the serpent will have achieved its height. When the uncoiled energy approaches universal love and radiant being, the entity is in a state whereby the harvestability of the entity comes nigh. So I really like this passage because it implies that a really trying to strive for and working for activation of higher energy centers isn't necessarily the best way to go about things, though I don't think it's necessarily wrong to think in those terms. But Ra talks about how experiences are attracted to us through what they call the South Pole. And as we move up the chakras, I think that we will have new experiences or have experiences that we will see in different lights, where as we reach higher energy chakras, 
we will start to contemplate them and see them from the energy center. And in meditating and contemplating and appropriately uh, balancing these experiences, we will then naturally, through an organic process, crystallize our chakras. And that means that the effort that we have to put in isn't necessarily in consciously thinking about these higher chakras and attempting to activate them through some sort of specific meditation or anything like that. It is more of a process of living our lives and accepting our experiences, allowing our experiences, and then integrating our experiences through our dedicated meditation and contemplation. So that is really the biggest thing that I can recommend for working on crystallizing higher chakras is just allow your new experiences to be seated where they will within our energy bodies, balance them if they need to be balanced, accept them, and naturally the serpent will rise until we reach our higher chakras and then our experiences will be helping us to crystallize those chakras. Um, and there's a bit more I could say about his techniques, but I'll go ahead and pass it on to see what you guys have to say. Gary, how about you? <clears throat> So far as I'm aware, crystallization happens as a result of repetition, basically. Um, repeating your spiritual disciplines, repeating your modes of seeking, repeating your exercises of will and faith. Uh, similar, perhaps, to the way that neural networks are grooved into the brain um, through repetition, such that certain behaviors become automatic. Uh, likewise, the more you persist in your disciplines and practice, the more the chakras crystallize along those lines. Um, for instance, the more that you um, <clears throat> exercise your Blu-ray by honest and compassionate and clear communication, the more that the Blu-ray may crystallize into patterns entirely unique to your energy configuration. <clears throat> Um, all of which rests on what Austin was describing about the natural organic um, upward movement of energy through the chakras, which uh, rests on you knowing and accepting yourself and processing daily life material and unblocking and balancing those lower chakras so that the energy could get up to the higher chakras to begin with. <clears throat> Um, in terms of applying outer technologies or specific practices, uh, I'm not sure to to what, if any, effect they may have. Um, it's just due to my own ignorance. Uh, I speculate that they would have an effect only insofar as they help you to gain focus and perform your spiritual, contemplative, and uh, meditative disciplines. Um, in the end, I think that meditation itself is one of the best means of crystallizing those centers as it helps uh, the self to regularize the energy patterns. Um, but I applaud your effort to contact intelligent infinity, which is another way to say to know who and what you really are. How about you, Jim? Okay, great job, you guys. Um, my suggestion to Spencer would be not to assume that what he has to do is to crystallize the higher energy centers apart from the lower. A lot of times spiritual seekers are assuming that since they're hoping to work upon the higher centers and are actually working upon those centers, that that's where they need to be. But very likely, um, a lot of us have other work to do also in the lower energy centers. So my recommendation would be that he use the technique for balancing that Ra suggested. At the end of each day, take a little time out. Meditate and reflect back upon anything, any experience, any catalyst that came your way that caused you to deviate from the normal 
uh, well, we hope it's normal, uh, open-hearted, loving acceptance of each moment. And whatever way it goes, if you're really terribly joyful or terribly sad or angry or doubtful or any distortion of that uh, open-hearted love, take a look at it and then replay it again in your mind. Let it get just as big as it was and even blow it up a little bit bigger. And then allow the polar opposite of that to come into your mind and to get just as big and blown up as the original catalyst was. And then when they feel balanced within yourself, then accept yourself for having both of these means for the creator to know itself contained within your being. And I think if you do that on a regular basis, then you don't have to worry if you're uh, focusing on the right place or not, because your daily round of activities, the way you, pro- the way you deal with catalysts, is going to show you where you need to work in order to eventually crystallize all of your energy centers and be able to make that uh, beloved contact with intelligent infinity the fully experienced presence of the one infinite creator. Good luck. <laughs> Anything else on that particular question? Not from I. Yeah, just a couple words on um, his idea of having technique and using practices to help to crystallize these higher energy centers. I think that the techniques are useful in and of themselves, but also in the sense that when he adopts these techniques, he is... Uh, essentially proclaiming that he wishes to crystallize and wishes to be a healer and wishes to do this. And I think that that simple intention activates a lot of metaphysical energy and that will help draw the experiences to him and uh, that techniques themselves could be useful. But I would have another raw quote. Uh, It's shorter than the last one, but I think it is um, relevant and I really like it. It's one of my favorite quotes. And uh, Basically, Don asks about certain techniques for uh, polarizing. And uh, what Ra says in response is, This is technique. This is not the heart. Let us examine the heart of evolution. Let us remember that we are all one. This is the great learning slash teaching. In this unity lies love. This is a great learn slash teaching. In this unity lies light. This is the fundamental teaching of all planes of existence and materialization. Unity, love, light, and joy. This is the heart of evolution of the spirit. The second ranking lessons are learn slash taught in meditation and in service. At some point, the mind-body-spirit complex is so smoothly activated and balanced by these central thoughts or distortions that the techniques you have mentioned become quite significant. However, the universe, its mystery unbroken, is one. Always begin and end in the creator, not in technique. Very good. Okay, so Gary, you said you were done, so I think we're ready for the second question. Correct. Jeremy has a problem with the word efficiency. (laughs) Why do those of Ra place so much emphasis on efficiency in our spiritual path? They talk about service to others being more efficient than service to self, or a certain way of processing catalysts through experience being more or less efficient. Maybe I'm being obtuse, but doesn't efficiency imply a scarcity, as if there is a need to economize somehow? But what is scarce? Where is the economy needed? Why is efficiency even, for that matter, desirable by the Creator, if it is at all? In an infinite creation, what could possibly be at stake that would require efficiency? It occurs to me that perhaps this is about efficiency from the standpoint of the mind-body-spirit complex, not the unified Creator. But the same question still applies. Why would I, from any spiritual perspective, want efficiency in my path? After all, the inborn bias that determines our choice of polarity is wrapped in mystery, according to those of Ra. It's not as if the choice is some sort of calculation. So, 
Whence the significance of efficiency as such a frequent bugaboo in the material? Gary, would you like to tackle the bugaboo? <laughs> Jeremy's vocabulary is extensive. Thank you, Jeremy, for the question. <clears throat> uh, I have a longish answer, uh, beginning with trying to uh, roughly speak about efficient versus non-efficient um, and establish first that the creation offers the possibility of both non-efficient use of catalysts and efficient use of catalysts. Efficient, herein defined as achieving maximum productivity with minimum wasted effort or expense. So one can literally not learn from their experience, but continually and blindly reenact unconscious conditioned patterns. One can seek distraction, sleep, and pleasure. On the other hand, one can bend every effort to face the self, use the catalyst being offered for learning and self-discovery. So you have non-efficient and efficient. On the question of why Ra might say that service to others is more efficient than service to self, I have four reasons that came to my mind in considering this question. Number one, uh, service to others is, generally speaking, honest. Service to self is intentionally dishonest. So a service to self entity has to remember the truth and the lie and the many intricate spider webs of deceit that they weave. Um, this seems less efficient than just being honest. Number two, in a purely service to self environment, um, 4D and 5D negative, uh, people are resisting you, working against you, and probably trying to undermine you. So you have to counter that with manipulation and control. Uh, Ra says in 7.15 that the number of negatively polarized social memory complexes are, quote, perhaps one-tenth hours at any point in the space-time continuum, as the problem of spiritual entropy causes them to experience constant disintegration of their social memory complexes, end quote. This seems less efficient than the positive polarity's universal ethos of mutual strengthening, cooperation, and support by working together instead of against one another. Uh, number three, in a purely negative system, you are not being genuinely assisted either by others or your own guidance system. The only assistance you do receive comes in the form of someone trying to use you or form an alliance for their own gain. So your mind must be occupied with calculating the variables and outcomes and, like a never-ending fierce chess game, constantly maneuvering. This seems less efficient than a positive polarity's, shall we say, strategy to, quote, win the game, which involves, for the positive polarity, laying the cards upon the table face up, and losing them in the melting influence of love. Number four, final reason. <clears throat> uh, life has a way of being what it is, but the negative entities simply cannot accept that. The service to self polarity must impose its own order and control to the fullest extent possible of all others and of the circumstance itself. Expending so much personal effort seems less efficient than surrendering and allowing and accepting what is to be what is. And um, the third portion of my response, Jeremy seemed to be asking, is efficiency desired by the creator? Or is it desirable? Um, Ra indicates that the third density entity has no limit on the amount of time that they can spend not learning their lessons. Uh, they can distort the original unity into layer upon layer of illusion and chase one illusion after the next. This is their uh, right and their power and their ability. Efficiency, therefore, is not enforced. 
Um, but there comes a point in the entity's journey where uh, he or she awakens to the original desire that's already present within themselves. There is a positive and negative interpretation of that original desire, but it operates the same upon both polarities in that the self compels the self to seek. The self wants to find its way back to the one. So once that original desire becomes even nominally conscious and begins to operate, the self desires for the self increasingly efficient use of catalyst. Why? Uh, Because the self wishes to grow, learn, and advance, just as the eager school student wishes to learn and complete its testing, just as the lover wishes to return to their beloved upon being separated. Um, You, Jeremy, said, quote, It occurs to me that perhaps this is about efficiency from the standpoint of the mind-body-spirit complex, not the unified creator. I would say... Um, it's from the standpoint of both, really, to the extent that it makes conceptual sense to speak of the two things as separate. Uh, the creator desired to know itself. The entity desires to know itself. And there's that mutual desire between those two seemingly separate things. And on both ends of that spectrum, there's a desire uh, to complete and to fulfill that knowing and that journey. And the best way to do that is through efficient use of catalysts. Uh, which completes my long answer. All right, Austin, how about you? What, what do you think about this? I really appreciated that answer. Um, I appreciate the question, too, because this is something that I have struggled with on similar terms as Jeremy, and I can't say that I've found an answer that I feel might satisfy Jeremy. Uh, but I think it's good to think about the idea that uh, Gary referenced this idea about negative being less efficient and Jeremy asked about that and it's good to kind of remember that Ra treated the negative path as just as valid as the positive path and so even though the positive path was described as more efficient it was not given more validity than the less efficient path so there is that to think about Uh, But also along the terms of whether or not the creator itself desires efficiency and why it would desire efficiency. And I think there's evidence that at least a higher level of Logos desires efficiency because there is this experiment going on, the one that resulted in the veil and the idea of polarization through the veil, that um, uh, the Logoi are attempting to find more efficient, more effective ways of getting entities to polarize, or in another sense, to travel between the previous octave and the next octave through our system of densities. And I think that the reason that this is is similarly to what Gary described, in that the creator wishes to know and experience itself. And I think that the creator experiences itself through this movement from one octave to the next. I think that if an entity is stagnant and kind of uh, stays around in a similar or a one kind of level within that octave and doesn't utilize their experience to move forward, then that experience might not be as uh, useful or to the creator. 
that is a personal statement. I can't really back that up with evidence from the raw material, but I do feel like if an experience is being used effectively, that the creator is experiencing itself more effectively, which was the original desire to know itself and to experience itself. And so in that way, I agree pretty strongly with how Gary uh, described it. And um, the only last thing I'll have to say is another quote from Ra. Uh, where Ra says in session 39, question 6, the principle so veiled in that statement, Don had asked about a confusing statement from another channeled material, is but the simple principle of the constant or creator and the transient or the incarnate being and the yearning existing between the two, one for the other, in love and light amidst the distortions of free will acting upon the illusion-bound entity. And so uh, Jeremy pointed out that it is all begins in mystery and ends in mystery, but there is still this yearning between the creator and between the entity. And that yearning I think is satisfied by polarization. And so efficient polarization makes sense because it satisfies that yearning in a more effective way. And that's all I have to say uh, in addition to Gary's answer. Okay. Good job guys. I think I would have to agree with everything you said. Uh, We as seekers of truth, want to do our very best to be of service to the Creator, to serve the Creator everywhere around us, to grow, to learn. And we expend energy in doing that. And now and then, we want to know, well, just how are we doing at being of service to others? We want to do better. So we take a look at what we're doing, and we see how efficient we are. But if efficient is a word that bothers Jeremy, like Carla noted that Jesus was a word that bothered a lot of people who were had a problem with religion, she would suggest Sananda or uh, Yeshua or Yehoshua or even Christ consciousness. So I would suggest other words. Try success or progress or adeptness or achievement. Whatever word you want to use, we we always want to look at what we're doing to try to figure out how to do it better because we are sincere, honest, dedicated seekers of truth who want to serve and grow. Any last thoughts on this question? That's all from me. Uh, yes, I do. I have a follow-up <laughs> to um, to Austin's thought. I'm looking at a law of one quote. Um, so um, Austin was saying about how um, the the section where you said, this is just a personal statement. I can't back it up by anything in the raw material. Um can you back it up? <laughs> I have something from the raw material too. Can you find it? No. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> there will be no backing up here. Um, <laughs> of that kind too. Um, though actually I feel like I'm doing that right now as I'm trying to stumble, remembering exactly where your thought was going. Um, you were saying that the the creator, like how an entity um, wouldn't just, not wouldn't, that it is more desirable to the creator that the entity make progress and not just kind of be stuck at, um, or stagnant, rather, in one level of the octave, but rather to make progress. And was am I capturing, do you remember what you said? That yeah, that's essentially, I can expand on that very shortly if you want me to. Yeah, and then and I have a how, quote. Okay, the reason that's kind of confusing for me is because I see the creator is valuing all things equally and that everything is loved equally and appreciated equally. So it's hard for me to um, 
connect that with the idea that the creator would prefer efficiency in a, a entity's movement from in between the octaves. But um, do you have a response to that? Yeah. Yeah, and it's really rough in my head because this Q&A isn't one that I can claim to fully understand anyway. Um, so in 73.10, um, Don is asking about visualiz- visualization and invoking light and the magical personality. And Ra says in the final paragraph, more importantly, the time-space mind-body-spirit analog, which is evoked as the magical personality, has its only opportunity to gain rapidly from the experience of the catalytic action available to the third density uh, mind-body-spirit complex. Um, Thus, the adept is aiding the creator greatly by offering great catalyst to a greater portion of the creation, which is identified as the mind-body-spirit totality of an entity. Uh, That is, to use one of Ra's words, a welter of a thought. (laughs) But it seems to me that um, there are different levels of of value and um, preference. I'm trying to translate Ra's answer into into meaning that um, to juxtaposing two scenarios one scenario where the entity is just stays unconscious in in third density and just seeks distraction sleep and pleasure and doesn't do the work and this other scenario where the entity opens it becomes a vessel to the magical personality and thereby offers ra says um great catalyst to a greater portion so that implies like some kind of depth of greater levels of fulfillment to the creator based upon what the entity does or does not do in third density. That's what I'm trying to boil it down to. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. I think that's helpful. So maybe there is. There is the paradox of, um, yes, there is no wrong choice, and the entity can do exercise their free will and do whatever they want, including staying stagnant. And the creator, there isn't a preference per se. But at the same time, it seems like there are deeper levels of fulfillment um, to the creator and, and we're, we're talking way outside of our, our pay grade here but anyways yeah. that was my thought yeah I think it's just it is a paradox I think the paradox still stands uh, but there's a quote that I like about paradox I can't remember who said it but it, it is the, that paradox is the result of a finite mind attempting to grasp an infinite universe <laughs> good one so I think that's where we are right now <laughs> okay I think we've come to the end of another program another broadcast another interesting set of questions um we just want to thank everybody that sent in questions we had, uh, it's what we live on we, what we wait for we tried our best to answer them in a way that might be helpful to you we hope that you all have a really good week we want you to know we love you a lot and if we all love each other enough and often enough we will bring each other home have a great week <laughs>